Hi, this is Sean Blackshear, life insurance broker for First Family Life Allegiance. Did you know that life insurance not only will cover you if you pass away, but it's also used to build a legacy for your family. It can also help you generate income. It can protect your mortgage and it can cover you with any kind of medical affliction. Please contact me at 314-374-3412. Or please drop me a message on on Facebook and like the page at First Family Life Allegiance or go to my website, firstfamilylifeallegiance.com and schedule an appointment and I'll call you at a time that works for you. Hello and welcome to the Before After Podcast. This is Christy Danielle, a.k.a. The Talk Lady. I welcome you here. I am so excited. And please, before we even get started, if you could subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or any other place uh, where you listen to podcasts, I most definitely encourage you to do so. With me right now, of course, well, let me just start off by saying the topic of today's session Yes, I call these sessions because they really are sessions. So the topic of today's session is called Healing Parent-Child Relationships. I truly believe that in order to heal the community, we have to heal the family unit. So uh, I am so excited about my guest on today. Her name is Taryn Walton. I am so excited. Thank you for being here. You're so welcome. Yes. And I just want to read her bio because I want you guys to know how prolific she is. Okay. Taryn Walton is a mother, a wife, and author, an inspirational speaker. Taryn has dedicated her life to serving God and speaking to the brokenhearted. She is a wife of 23 years to the wonderful Mr. Walton. Through this union, there are seven children, 16 grandchildren, two daughters-in-law, and one son-in-law. Through her journey of pain and adversity, she began to meditate on the word of God, and God began to heal her heart. And as he healed her heart, she developed a heavy heart for God's hurting men and women. So I want to introduce Taryn Walton. Welcome to the show, Taryn. Hello. Thank you. I am so excited. So, of course, I mentioned in her bio um, that she is an author. So I just want to say the name of your book, Damaged Children, Healing Hearts, to love again uh you can uh, first off again welcome and what inspired you to write the book let's just start there wow (laughs) well a lot of times when we're hurting we don't see the hurt in our children but I began to see the hurt that was in my children more than anyone it was the second child Sean and every time he would get upset even with drinking He would always call on the phone and go, Mom, such and such when I was little this and such and such when I was little that. And I would always go like, you're not going to disrespect me. I'm going to hang up the phone at this time. But I realized it wasn't disrespect at all the things that he was saying. He was speaking from his heart. He was hurting. So that was just a place where I was. I, I was walking in denial at that time and I wasn't ready to take accountability for who my children had become and who they were because of the mistakes that I made as a mother. So with that being said, I saw the pain in him and I remember him calling me January the 1st, two years ago, I'll never forget. And he began to speak about those things and he was really crying so hard. And I told him then when I wanted to hang the phone up, but I heard the 
the word of God so clear tell me you cannot hang this phone up you have to listen to his heart this time and I was at work I had to leave out of the office and get in the car and listen to him and just cry like a baby because every word that he spoke to me cut me deep and I told God not only do my son need professional help he needs counseling at this time not just prayer only and it's okay to be in Christ Jesus and receive counseling at the same time. Yes, I truly believe that. How did you even get into the position to even want to hear? And and, and before I even get to that, I uh, on one of my TikToks, I actually talked about that. And it was talking about uh, managing versus leading your child. And I talked about how at McDonald's, we have managers. I make sure you, what's the first thing we say? I, I, got, I gave you shelter. I gave you food. Right. But that's managing. Even at McDonald's, your manager at McDonald's, if you worked at McDonald's, we they make sure you have a safe work environment. They make sure you go to lunch. And that's managing. But then we become adults and parents who did not give us the emotional thing. They didn't lead us. So how did you even get into the position to even ready your heart to even want to hear what he had to say? That's so true. Like you gave an example of the McDonald's, how we manage and we as parents, we think because we the adults, we get to say what we want to say and do what we want to do. And it doesn't really work that way. So I had to get to that point. I remember talking to him on the phone and I told him, I said, son, I'm so sorry. And I had to hang up. And that was on a Sunday. I called my job Monday morning, but I struggled that night and I began to cry like a baby because God began to take me down memory lane. I thought I was getting ready to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and pray. And I couldn't move out of the bed and I just laid there and I began to see all of my children when they were little. And I began to see the pain, one sitting in a corner, hurting that never didn't want to play too much, one over here that doesn't say anything. And I began to go down memory lane and God began to show me the pain that was in my children. I began, And I weep and I cry like a baby. So my first thing was to ask God to forgive me. And not only did I need God to forgive me, Lord, it's time my child, for me to work on me so that my children can heal. I said, my son is hurting God and I don't know what to do. And I struggled that morning and I called um, EPA on my job and I told them that I had to make an appointment for me and my four children to be seen. And they'll ask you questions like, what's going on? They won't go into detail. They'll ask you just small questions. And I began to answer the questions. But the thing was, I made the appointment for all four of my children. I didn't know that God was going to do it his way. He had a different plan. And when I began to speak to all of my children, everybody said at that time, they didn't want to go to counseling. But Sean was the only one to say yes, because God knew that it was his time first. And one thing about going to counseling with our children, it's it's a heavy load, it's a burden, and you get fearful. I remember uh, we had an appointment, it was like two weeks away, so I began to fast and pray. And a lot of times we say we're not fearful of our children, and I'm not fearful of my children, any physical or anything like that, but that was the first time in my life that I was fearful for my son. And not being fear of him in a violent way, but being fearful of what he was going to say. Because when you're talking about going to counseling with your children, you don't get to sit down and say, what are we going to say? You don't get to sit down and rehearse anything. You have to get ready 
because you don't know. I remember speaking to him, just the words that he was saying over the phone had cut me deep. So in my heart and in my mind, it's like, when we get in front of this lady, what is he going to say to me? Is he going to embarrass me? Is he going to bring up the past, the things that I said and did that hurt him? All of that worried me, but I had got to a place and just praying and fasting with God, and I got to a place of peace. But I remember walking down a hallway the very first day, and I called him. I said, Sean, are you driving? He was like, Mom, can you pick me up? So now we're riding in the car, and it's very oh so quiet. I'm not talking. He's not talking because I am guess he was fearful, too, of what was getting ready to be said or what may happen. And when I pulled up, I said, son, are you ready? And he said, yes. I remember walking down that hall like that hall seemed like it was so short that we had made it to the door so quickly. And to sit there and sign in and be ready to go sit on a couch and talk to a profession about everything that was on the inside of your child. You don't know what's coming out and what's on the inside of you. But the thing was before that when I went on the fast and um, began to fast and pray, I began to say, Lord, it's time for me to take accountability for who my children had become and who they are becoming because of the mistakes that I made. Lord, I'm, I'm damaged and I damaged my children. I can't walk in denial anymore. So for those two weeks, I was getting myself ready for this. I was getting myself ready with God with a repentant heart. And just getting in a place of preparation, it wasn't easy at all. And you know something, I, I love that word um, accountability because a lot of parents actually feel that they uh, don't owe their child an apology. I'm going to read something out of your book. Oh, she just rolled her eyes on that because it's true. <laughs> Listen, it, it, it's, Ooh, it's Jesus. true. It, out of uh, your book, under uh, in the chapter Matters of the Heart, I'm going to read this one paragraph. You said... My second son was a little different. He always had a debate what was said. He always felt that he had to get his thoughts across and that he was never understood. He would always say, kids have opinions too. It was not until later that I realized he was right. Oh my God, I realized that's so true. Kids do have opinions. It's not what we, how we say it. It's not what we say, it's how we say it. We can say things in a respectful manner as children and still get our point across too. But we as parents feel like they don't get to tell me what to do. Managing. They right. don't get to tell, say what they want to say. Because we want to take it as, and I'm just going to be honest, black community, you're, you're not going to disrespect me. Oh, yes. Come on. But our children, sometimes they're not being disrespectful. They want to be heard. They're hurting. Mom, I want you to hear me. Dad, I want you to hear what I have to say. I'm not always trying to be disrespectful. I need healing. I need you to say, I'm sorry. I need you to take accountability. I need you to say, yes, I did do that. So there were times uh, when we were going through the process of healing where it was some things that were said that I didn't even remember. But because I didn't remember, it, it didn't cause me to debate with them. Okay, uh, I, I it, love that point. It caused me to say, "You're okay, son. I don't remember that, but I'm not going to say it didn't happen because you said it did. But I'm going to say I should have done that in a better way, and I'm so sorry. 
And you know what? I love I love that because a tool that parents can take even from this podcast is that um, it's there. It's the child's reality, even adult children. It completely messes up the validation because that's the first thing they even taught us in counseling program. Validation goes a long way. The definition of validation means to prove accurate or correct. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It If I offended you, even if even if your interpretation is completely off, even if what you remembered is completely off, it's still your reality and your interpretation. Who am I to say, no, that's not it. And when we do things, and, and trust me, I, I'm going to just put this disclaimer out here. Uh, I was watching a YouTube uh, thing about the brain, and I love it because technically, I'm just saying this, our brains are really stupid. <laughs> um, and I'll explain why. The only function of your brain is to keep you safe. That's it. We have two things in our head. We have a mind and a brain. Your mind interprets. Your brain does not know the difference whether somebody's chasing you with a knife or whether somebody hurts your feelings. All it knows is that it's hurtful. So nine times out of ten, if the child, adult child says, mom, dad, this is what you did, they're going to remember those things because their brain is trying to tell them, keep it in your memory so it won't happen again. And I love that you took his word for it and that right. you just uh, and that you just uh apologize because parents are not apologize and that's the thing with especially the younger generation they people people always complain they're so vocal they're so vocal they're so vocal they're vocal because they never had a voice because we've been told to right. we told them to sit down and shut up yeah. that's true and if, if you begin just when you begin to tell your children you're sorry when they begin to talk about the past, they are adults. It doesn't matter how old they are because one thing about pain, it doesn't have an age to it. Because at the time, two years ago, my children were, what, 39, 37, 33, and 32. But they were hurting. So I didn't get to debate what was on the inside of my children. If they said, this this what it was, this what happened, Mom, I didn't debate with that anymore. I was done debating. I was in a place of accountability. So we don't get to debate what's in the heart of our children. You never know what's in the heart of your children be- until they begin to speak. And one thing about it, when they're hurting, every word that they're going to speak is going to cut you deep. I think a lot of parents are fearful of that, though. And so it becomes this, I call it a competitive healing process, like a competition or a or winning or losing thing. No, this is not what it ha- what, what happened. But you're right. It should not even be a debate on what they express. And, and you know something, I love your whole way because what you did was a perfect example of how we end generational trauma. Right. Because and and it's even proven scientifically that we call it epigenetics, where trauma can be traced back as far as 14 generations because trauma literally alters the protein around the DNA. That's powerful. So it's really amazing because um, we thinking, how can we stop this generational curse? You stop it by saying sorry. Right. And and that's what you did. And and to give just a bit of self-disclosure. Um, I, my oldest, he's 15 now, but when he was like 12 or 13, I don't know if I even shared this with you before. Um, all I know is that one day he got so angry with me, he swung on me. That was it. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. And now, I, 
I don't work out. So I'm like, okay, we finna go at it. Let me go ahead. Put, you know, I, I didn't know. I, you know, but I never forget. Shortly after that, I went up to him and I sat on the edge of his bed. And I said, for whatever, I said, whenever you're ready to lash out at me and to make me be accountable for what I caused, the trauma that I caused in your life, I'm going to let you have it and I'm going to be ready. I said, I'm going to let you lash out at me because I know that I've caused you trauma. And it's like ever since then, we've been good. All he wanted. Accountability. <laughs> and a, But a lot of times when our children are acting up, the very first thing we say, it can be family calling. Well, what happened to so-and-so? Why is she acting the way she is? I don't know, but she needs counseling. She needs counseling. We say that in a minute concerning our children. But the parents are the one that needs the counseling at that moment. Yes. Because how can our kids heal if we're not to a place of accountability and we haven't went and got healing for ourselves? We haven't even started a process of wanting to change or make things better. So the very first thing we say, oh, she need counseling. But you forgot. You as a mother, this is the very reason that they, the way they are, they, they're damaged. Yes. We were damaged, so we began to damage our own children. How many of us have said, I'm not going to do the same thing that my mother and father did to, uh, did to me, to my children? But we turn right around and do it because it becomes learned behavior. Yes. Now we're dealing with imitation of life all over again. Which was a chapter in the book. <laughs> but we'll get to that. But um, And you know something? I love that you brought uh, that portion out because I'm just going to say it as a therapist— I, I'm just being very honest. A lot of parents send their child to therapy and they say, something's going on with my child. My child needs help. But when I look at the, the child at the moment, teenager, junior high, the child seems fine. They, <laughs> the child seems completely fine. But And so actually the sessions shift from, okay, it shifts from, why do you think mom and dad brought you in here? It, I ultimately then asked the question, how can we get mom and dad off your back? What is it? What is some justice that you need from mom and dad? Because most likely the behavior that's coming out is a lack of reconciliation from the parents. Right. And so, and so that's, and normally a lot of parents will send their child to therapists with the mindset of here, therapist, fix my child. But really it is, I'm, I wish you would come in here, <laughs> you know. That's so true, but <clears throat> we as parents, a lot of times, even even being in the body of Christ, we'll we'll go and we'll we'll get saved. Mm -hmm. Now I'm saved. I think everything is going to be okay. Ooh. But we leave our babies behind. That's a big one. We leave our babies behind. So a lot of times now I'm leading while my babies are bleeding. And not only that, how many of us have been in the body of Christ? are leading while bleeding. We're still hurting from things when we were children. Nobody knows about, but we'll get out there. We're so great at dressing up our pain, the pretty makeup, yes. the hair and the clothes. But nobody sees in the midnight hours when we're crying out to God to help us, Lord, heal me. I'm still hurting from when I was 10 years old. So this little girl, I mean, dealing with my son, he was 37 at that time. But when I sat on that couch and we began to talk, and my son began to weep like a two-year-old baby, I saw a 37-year-old man that was still hurting from a 14-year-old little boy. 
So we're still, we're, we're, we're 40, but we're dealing with that 10-year-old little girl on the inside that's still hurting. And she's trying to get out because she needs healing. And a lot of times, uh, we, we ourselves, we hurt our children. You know, we've had the saying where we see people, you know, when you're coming up and you tell your children they're looking down at the ground and you're walking, the very first thing we say is, don't be holding your head down, look up, don't let nobody make you look down at the ground. But we the words that we are the ones that spoke the negative words into our children's lives. Tell them, you're not going to be anything. I'm sick of you. You stupid. Why you keep acting like that? Or actually cursing them out. Right. Or call them all kind of names. Yeah. And I tell, used to tell my children, words are like a scar. It's a scabby scar. Where you, you dig and it hurts. And when you pull the layers back, it'll heal. And then we'll let it heal and we'll pull that scab back off again. That's how our hearts are from everything that we've been through. We keep pulling the layers off back and forth. We think we're healed, then we're going to pull, pull that layer back off again because we're still hurting. Now here we are in the body of Christ, even in our children's life, we're leading while bleeding. It's true. And and that is where the stigma of uh, the preacher's kid will come from. You know how the preacher's, it, you know, <laughs> the preacher's child will be the worst one or whatever, right. or the rebel. But that's because you're right. We would be everything for everybody else but not for and and here's the thing uh one time uh the lord uh had put it on my heart to study the term apostasy and that means a falling away it means a falling away from the things of god you can still be present in the church and fall away apostasy means you have fell away from the things of god in your mind and in your heart and that and what we're talking about now because see this is solution what we're talking about what we're talking about now is I cannot be everything for everybody else and then forget that I'm hurting my children at home. And right. so and, and so now we have these children growing up as adults and they end up leaving the faith, which is enters more room for witchcraft and things like that, because they're so desperate for a healing. They'll go through anything, go to anything just to get it. And, right. and so this type of trauma contributes to the falling away of the church because I didn't see the power of God because it wasn't in my house. I, right. they, they was speaking the tongue <laughs> and prophesying out there. But at home, they didn't they didn't ask me how I was feeling. They didn't give me a hug. I never heard my mom and dad say, yeah, you know, they loved me, you know. That, but yet these are children of men and women of God, believers who grow up with this testimony. Right. And it's so, like a lot of times with men, you know, they'll tell the little boys because they want them to be, they think they're men at three years old. Right. So if they want to cry, I don't want to see a tear drop. You better not let that tear drop. So now they don't get to express their emotions. That's just what you're teaching them at an early yeah. age. So by the time he's 10 or 11 years old, he's exploding and you don't know why because he done held on to all of this pain for years because you done taught him he can't express his emotions that he can't even drop a tear out of his face. Isn't that something? And then we expect to have men of God or, or not great husbands and fathers who don't know how to emote. And I saw somebody put this uh, on their Facebook and it's so true. Men who don't know how to emote don't know how to cope. And so when there isn't a healthy emotionally emotional release for men, young boys, and then they grow up to men, you know, they don't know how to cope uh, with life. And I just want to go back really quick. Something you said uh, earlier, you said you saw your grown son like a 
37 years old with a 14-year-old little boy on the inside that needed healing. Uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I talked about this one time. <laughs> this is why I love you. I, I said, this instance is called Grown People with Little Kids' Souls. And I'm a firm believer that the age where you, I heard this before, but I tell it to everybody, the age where you encountered your first trauma or love was deprived or your mind became aware of it is the age where your soul is stuck. That's even what we teach in psychology. That's why, uh, that's the significance of people with substance abuse addiction, uh, like with a bottle. I, if I had early childhood trauma, it correlates to my early childhood trauma was when I was on a bottle and on a pacifier. That's an oral deficiency. So now I grow up and I need something orally in my mouth. So now I'm going to trade the baby bottle for a 40 ounce bottle. Right. And, and, and it's and it is all a subconscious work. So when when adults have manifestations when they are grieving or finally getting things out and it manifests as a younger um, you know person because nine times out of ten that's how the enemy uses our triggers the point of your triggers is to make you return back in your mind to the place when the trauma happened and that's ptsd and so it's like my body is present day here but my mind is stuck through the lens of trauma back there and i i love that oh my god i love that you allow him to do that did you want to speak on that or i that's so true i remember um I think it was the third session. A lot of times we think that, well, we do get to a place of accountability, some of us as parents. But sometimes the things we say, I guess with me and I crying and the things I said. So when he begins to hear me say, well, I whooped him so much because of this and I did this and I did that. So I guess he began to think too, because the, she would always let him go first. And I'd be like, oh Lord, what is he gonna say? <laughs> But I remember the third session, and I remember her telling him to go first. And he began to cry again, and she asked him, why was he crying? And what he said was, I'm taking accountability, too, because now I realize that my mom did this or she did that. Those were her reactions from the things that I was doing as a child. And she didn't know any better, so he was like, now I'm taking accountability, too. And I began to weep like a baby. I'm like, wow, my son is saying he's taking accountability. So that was truly a blessing. So we have to hear and let them talk. Like he always said, children have opinions too, and they do. So we have to allow them to speak. Because if we don't let them speak, they're going to hold everything on the inside. And when they begin to explode, when they're hurting, I've even experienced with my children um, hurting. It comes out in so many ways. Addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, addiction to sex, looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's what we do. Me being hurt, being a daddyless daughter, wanting my father to be in my life and not understanding why he wasn't in my life. But when I look back now as an adult, now I remember him knocking on the door and my mom saying, you don't have any money. No, you can't see them today. So I see all of that now. As a little girl, I'm blaming him. But when I look back now, I see all of this. I'm glad you brought that out because that is one point. I know someone is listening, uh, a parent who's listening to this, to that point is really it because I felt healing as soon as you said it. Uh, if there is an adult child or adolescent or junior high or it doesn't matter, if you are a parent who has a child at any age and the child is angry towards you, um, sometimes the child will become uh, 
angry with the parent that stayed or angry with the parent that it just it's it's just the way that it manifests so just to bring some healing uh to that but you're right to see the whole picture and this is why vulnerability as a parent is so is so important i always tell people look i am not a strong black woman that that is so played out i mean we try to be so it you allowed your your children to see imperfections and 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 just a bit of i don't want to tell all the book but yeah i have read this book like at least two or three i wish you could see how many notes (laughs) she i'm telling you but um the portion one portion of the book you talked about just the abuse from your child's father uh yes i I mean and you know something just i mean now that part of the book made me cry i'm not gonna even lie because my one of my most earliest memories I, i was three years old and I can remember, and I'm writing a book, so I put this in the book, so I ain't like, eh, I'm the oh shoot, she telling a big secret. But uh, I can remember hearing a loud bang on the door. I remember running uh, to the door. I remember seeing my biological father's hand uh, bust through the window. I remember, to this day, I remember seeing the veins on his hands. I remember seeing the blood. He reached in, unlocked the door, and then he went. Uh, and starts took my mother I was like three took my mother by her neck and starts slamming her against the wall I remember her getting a knife cutting him I remember seeing a pool of blood this is when I was like three I remember seeing a pool of blood and he went to me showed me the scar I remember looking over to the right and seeing my mother wipe her nose off off, off the mirror in the mirror and I remember him showing me where she cut him with the knife and he said use some profanity and he said you see what she effing did to me did you so I'm, I was like three years old at the time. Okay. Wow. And, and and I and I loved even the accountability and, and and even what you said because what it does for children when we see those things, I, I don't care how small something it will be remembered. Uh, but that's where my limbic system start going haywire. And so I've always lived life like on the war zone. I've always even if, and that contributed to. People would walk past me and didn't smile. I could ask my pastors. I could have swore they was trying to fight me. <laughs> oh my God. Be- because that's what unhealed trauma does. Unhealed trauma, uh, it causes your limbic system to be fired off. That is the equivalent to somebody who's in Afghanistan overseas fighting in a war. And so can you imagine encountering people at church and somebody walk past you and they, they ain't smile and they, they ain't smiling at me and I'm like, oh, I'm finna, I'm finna fight her because that's that so i mean oh my goodness i just love that you said and that just caused so much healing but i mean to be in that abusive relationship i mean uh, my i don't even know what to ask for that i'm just oh (laughs) gosh about it uh it was for two uh years the abuse that i was taking a lot of times like i say we struggle with abandonment and rejection i did from my father so it was like if I did anything or said anything, maybe he would leave me like my dad did. So, you know, being young, you got a boyfriend, you think you finally got somebody that loved you. I knew my Your own family my, my, my mother did, but thinking I had somebody that loved me, but didn't know I had a really jealous boyfriend that was fighting every day for two years. My goodness. And to pull somebody down the step with your own son on their hip, and it didn't matter if that. he came down with you 
that was so sad but to be able to open that door so quickly and throw my son in there and sit him down so he wouldn't crawl out and to be pulled down those steps and stumped till I couldn't be stumped anymore that had become enough for me a lot of times we hear people talk about uh she could have been and left him or she you don't know what the situation is I was young I felt like I didn't want anybody I didn't want him to leave because my dad left me so I you know I got a male figure now and I'm thinking this is what I want we think we're in love at that at that age you're just infatuated with the ideal of being in love you don't know what love is at no 14 and 15 years old but it came to an end when I said I couldn't do this anymore and that was the last for me but to the next day fight with everything on the inside of me and whooped him so two years you're beating me and you can't even whoop me or either I was just angry enough not to let him whoop me that day that was enough for me to know that your son may have come down down those steps too and it it didn't matter to you so and you know uh, and just to talk and we talked about uh trauma being uh passed down um you know I call it the curse of overcompensation and it's really our subconscious attempt to defeat the trauma so 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 like for instance after that incident that I shared my biological father left my life and so entered so I had an intercourse a one-on-one encounter a one-on-one intercourse account with the spirit of abandonment And so what that did was I subconsciously will choose men that I to date who my subconscious and my soul knows that this person will abandon me. So if I got you to stay, that means I finally defeated abandonment for myself. So I'm compensating. And so a lot of the times we choose partners trying to overcompensate and defeat the trauma ourselves or we try to overcompensate by getting what we never had. And so, and that's how trauma is just uh, passed down. And so, yeah, that I thank you for putting that in there. That's so true. What you, you know, the men that we choose as women, and even men that choose women, we see all the red flags. And we overlook it. We don't even care at that moment. We don't even care that this man is not good enough to even raise my children. But we don't care about that because in that moment, all we want to do is feed the flesh. Yes, we 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 call that uh, dopamine. I, I make a joke. <laughs> Wait, I make a joke. It's a neuroscience joke, but just follow with me. <laughs> Whatever. So we have a reward system in our brain. That system releases dopamine. Okay. See, I, I I know. I guess I probably just said I'm also a registered nurse too. But you know, I just left nursing went on be a therapy therapist. But our reward system in our brain releases dopamine, and so when we are so deprived of love, the moment that somebody shows us attention and we never got it, our brain it's like reward, dopamine, dopamine. So now we, even if the person is abusive, it feels like an emotional high. Because you never got that re- healthy release of love. And so the, when dopamine is released, and it, it doesn't matter what the, it turns into an addiction. And then enters codependency. And right. so, I, I mean, and so can you imagine our children watching, our children watching us be a, become addicted to inappropriate relationships? And then we so caught up in that that we forget about them and so then they developed out it's the same thing yeah imitation of life all over again because i remember seeing my mother being beaten all the time by our stepfather 
not only was he abusing her, he was abusing the whole, all of us, the whole family. Wow. You mentioned uh, several times, and I know it's a chapter in here uh, called Imitation of Life. If you want to touch on it, I don't know. I, look, I'm telling you to get the book. Look, I don't want to give all the, away the goodies, but go ahead. Imitation of Life, I remember. I know the beginning of that. It talks about um, seeing my mother when she would go out on dates, how she would look pretty, get herself done with the makeup and the pretty clothes. And I would look at her and think she was so beautiful, and I would say, ooh, I want to be just like that when I grow up. So that was one thing that I imitated, wanted to be pretty, wanted to look cute or with the pretty clothes, because this I saw my mom do. So that was a trait that I picked up. But not only that, with imitation of life, see, when my mom got saved, my mom would go in the bedroom and she would pray for hours. So that was something that I picked up too when I got in Christ Jesus, going in the bedroom to this day and pray because that's what I saw my mom do. So it became imitation of life. And we can take imitation of life. It can be positive or it can be negative. We're going to do the both in the end anyway. But we have to make a decision on changing our lives for the best and what what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Even with our children, like I say, some of the things my mom did, I, I did. She whooped us a lot. I did the same thing with some of my children because she thought if she would whoop us we would change and I was the same way a lot of times we whoop our children out of fear and disappointment at the same time yes I'm fearful you may go to the streets and something may happen to you and I'm disappointed because you your, your grades are dropping in school you running with the wrong crowd so we we whoop them because that's all that's all I knew that's the only tool in the shed yeah and so now even with writing the book now with my grandchildren I'm to the point if I see them say something wrong First thing I say is, now you know what I've been through with you, and you know that hurted you. Is it a better way that you could have said that to him or her? That's the very first thing I say. Don't do them. Don't damage them like I damaged you. Oh, I love so I'm that. starting that now with my grandchildren and my children. So when they get around me, they just won't say anything because <laughs> it's like she's <laughs> she going to say something. My daughter's law, she'll be the first one to say you are, I don't even know why you said that. You knew better than that. Yeah, she'll be the first one to tell my son that. Right. No, you don't get to tell my grandkids they can't drop a tear. You don't get to tell them that they can't show emotions. Exactly. And and, and I love that. And just a, a, a strategy, because I always tell people, I can't, well, I tell clients, I can't stand clients when they come to the session and they don't leave with strategy. Oh, I'm going to give you some strategy. So please know in these sessions, we're going to get some strategies. So uh, as you were talking, this came to uh, my mind. Um, and when we talk about um, even your sons, when he was grown in the sessions, but his inner child came out and even you as an adult woman, woman going through your healing process of, I'm sure that inner child came out. So this is um, a strategy that I tell my clients I do with myself. I never give out strategies that I haven't practiced myself. So, um, so what I do is, or what I would like for you to do is I want you listener or whatever (laughs) to think of when you're triggered. Okay. I want you to write down every way that it manifests when you're triggered. Then I want you to correlate it to an age. What age does that triggering look? What does those um, those manifestations? What do they look like? Whatever age it reminds you of, that is the age where your soul is stuck. So now I encourage you to. Um, so I've been reading positive parenting book because I've because I've realized my soul is stuck around the age between three and five. 
I, and that's what I tell people uh, because uh, part of my testimony, I'm divorced. Can you imagine a three year old girl trying to choose a husband? <laughs> uh, no, th- 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 that's right. that's what we do. That, um, so, um, so I would, I would. Uh, a strategy for today is I want you to think of the moments when you were triggered. How did it manifest? And then what age does it remind you of? Once you look at the list, nine times out of ten, that's the age where you have some damage to your soul. And then I uh, recommend reading parenting books and strategies on how to parent for that age. There are plenty of therapists who come out with seminars about parenting different ages. How to talk to your teenager. How to talk to your 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 preteen. Your uh, how to help your toddler not throw tantrums. We have adults who throw tantrums. Oh, yes. oh, come on. So, I, I, I mean, so th- that's just a strategy that came to my mind that I want, that I think would be uh, beneficial. And then, of course, you can take it to your therapist. Go to therapy. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. But one thing about being damaged is um, when we begin to take accountability, it's not just for our children. See, my children were adults and they are married. So when our children are damaged and they begin to marry someone that's damaged, then they begin to have children. Now we got to kindle a fire. But not only that, I had to go to my daughter-in-laws and I took accountability with my daughter-in-laws and I told them, I am so sorry for my son. The things that he, he has done that's negative towards you as a husband. They are great fathers, but in the beginning of that marriage... They were towed up from the floor. They were damaged. I love this. So they couldn't make great husbands. And that's what happens. We have to be careful because I, I mean, they don't make great husbands when they're damaged, when they tore up from the floor up like that. So I had to go to both of my daughter-in-laws and tell them, I am so sorry for my sons the way they were. Thank you for doing that. And I apologize for that. It's my fault, and I take accountability for it. So we have to get to the, it's not just for our children, it's, it's, it's for our children, our children's children, our grandchildren, our sons and daughters-in-laws. We have to apologize for them as well, because you married my damaged son. Ooh. And he's damaged because it's my fault. So I'm sorry for everything you've been through. Did that spawn a type of healing process for your daughter-in-laws? I mean, like, yes. I, I And I have a close relationship with my sons and daughter-in-laws. To the point they'll call me to talk to me when they're doing wrong, my sons and daughters-in-law, because we have a relationship. And one thing is, I'm not, I'm for what's right. I'm not on your side because you're my son. I'm not on your side because you're my daughter. I'm for what's right and what the word says. And not only that, even in the natural way of living, I'm for what's right. I can't stand those mothers this is my son and you're not going to oh, talk to Oh, we got to that me. coming. We <laughs> can't be in that relationship. Like, how do you step in a relationship like that with your son and your daughter in the middle of a married couple and you choose sides like that because that's your child? I can't do that. It's I'm, I'm not going to let you sit here and put your hands on your wife and know about it mm. and don't open my mouth. You're not going to verbally abuse your wife in front of me and I not say anything. That's not going to happen. Exactly. And, and, and you know, I love that you brought because that will be a future topic um, in the counseling where we call that enmeshment, I believe. But um, I coined it myself as emotional incest. You know how in, in families, incest is when there is some type of sexual or 
you know, action with between family members. But I said emotional incest because women date their sons. With the 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 sons end up being more of a husband to the woman than her actual husband. And so there is an inappropriate emotional connection between mothers and sons. And and that's why like she'll break up with, with the with the guy, but then the son will start dressing like the ex-boyfriend. And I'm like, your son looks just like the guy that you just broke up with. Right. Uh, or, you know, it, it's just inappropriate. Or, or I'm taking my son out on a date. And so it, and when I do couples counseling, a, a lot of the times, because it's a generational thing that has to be broken, it's very big. Um, but I, I will say when the child, when the son grows up and I see him in couples counseling with his spouse or girlfriend or, you know, it doesn't look like husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend dynamic. It looks like mother, son. <laughs> and, and so she becomes the mother because his only way it's subconscious, his only way of being attracted to a woman is when she's in the role of a mother. But when it's time for her to be a woman and say, babe, I need some help. I'm emotionally spent. He doesn't know how to relate to that. And then, and then there goes sexual intimacy out of the, out of the relationship, out of the marriage, because he's not sexually subconsciously attracted to a woman. He's attracted to a mother. And she, and so I love that you brought that out because you just display some Healthy, healthy boundaries, right? Because you, you you can't. My sons know you can't knock on my door at two in the morning <laughs> and say, "Uh, my wife makes me sick. Can I stay up here?" No, I need you to go back home. Period. Yes, I love so it. So I have had to do that twice and no more. So they don't come back. Like, well, mom ain't gonna let you in. No, you go and you work it, mom. I'm, no, you're not. You're gonna work it out with your wife. If it's not physical violence or anything like that, I tell them, no, you're going to work it out. You're not going to come here because you want to be a mama's baby. You, you are a married man, and you're going to work it out with your wife. You can't knock on my door at 2 in the morning. Yes. You have to go back home. And you know something, but even when we, just to bring it back around, even when we talked about, uh, talk about you apologizing to them. See, that apology and accountability gives you the space to parent. Because, see, at first, you couldn't tell the child nothing. Nope, you can't tell me nothing. But, see, once uh, once, uh, the, once they feel that they have received justice on some type of level, then you can, you can tell them your opinions. You can tell them, no, you're wrong, and they'll be able to receive it. But until then, and it, until you give them that accountability and say sorry, they're only going to listen through hurt, offended ears. Right. So you, uh, I listen. I I don't even know how long we've been on, but um, you have created, you created the space for healing for your family. This is how we break generational curses. I I don't know. I, your mind is going. <laughs> right. It's it's a process, and it's a heavy process. It's tears, joy, all of that. But it's like. When you get to a place of accountability, it's like a burden has been lifted off of you. And I remember <clears throat> going through, because God is so amazing, he began to go one kid at a time. So when I thought I was done with Sean going to counseling, I remember my one son, <clears throat> he um, was on parole, and uh, I don't know what I said to his uh, parole officer. She called me on the phone. We talked on the phone for a while. 
she called my son and she goes, my son calls me the next day. He goes, Mom, you talked to my parole officer. I'm like, I did. She called me and he was like, but what did you say? Because she said she put me on house arrest at your house. And I'm like, on house arrest? Wow. But when I got off the phone, that was another child that I was like, I, I thought he was the worst one that was hurting, but it was the second child. Mm. And I remember telling God, I'm like, he got to be here on house arrest. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust your plan. Mm. I knew that God was getting ready to start another healing process with another kid. And I remember sitting down, like I say, those words will cut you deep, those children say. And I remember me and him sitting at the kitchen table, my husband was at work. And he was like, Mom, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. He was like, no, I need to really talk to you. And he's like, Mom, you're going to cry because I need to say some things. So, And I told my son, I said, son, I'm so prepared. I know I'm going to cry, but it's okay. I said, that's why I've been to counseling with Sean already. And I have to go with you all one-on-one. I don't have a choice. It's time for healing. I'm in a place of accountability. So whatever you need to say, I'm ready for it. So we begin to talk. But for you, you never know what your children are thinking. I remember him telling me, Mom, when I was 15 years old, I thought you hated me because you whooped me more than everybody else. And I, he said, I thought it contributed to, to my father beating you all the time. But it had nothing to do with that it was me doing imitation of life learning behavior from my mom whooping us and thinking that I can change my children if I discipline them but it hurt me so deep for my to not know to 30 some years old that my child thought I uh, hated him at the age of 15 and that hurt him but we talked about some things I cried so hard my son cried so hard so we were done, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I know you're going one by one. My daughter was different. She was spoiled, so she didn't go through so much as they had been through, and we talked, and she was like, Mom, I'm not hurting from anything. But she said, I know my brothers are. And my baby boy, when it was his turn, he just kept, like, bagging out. And I'm trying. I'm like, Lord, I need you to step in because he just won't open up. And I started praying. I went on a fast with him. And when he finally started talking, he told me, he said, Mom, I don't really have much to say. But when he was done, it was so much. I was like, son, that was a lot. (laughs) But by the time I got to the last one with him, there wasn't any tears anymore. I was in a place of peace, just thanking God that I had gotten to a place of accountability. And he began to heal me and my children. That was the most beautiful thing I could have ever done was to take accountability for who my children are becoming and who they have became because of the pain that I had endured on my children. Is I'm look is there anything that you would say to listening parents uh on this podcast uh, I was listening to this podcast they may have adult children what would you say to inspire them to start this process? One thing I know is if we begin to pay attention, we're go- I don't care how old our children are, we're going to see the pain, we're going to hear the pain. But we have to get to a place of accountability to say enough is enough. I don't want to see my children hurt anymore. I don't care he's 40 years old. It's time for him to heal. But not only that... Let you, the parent, be the very first person to go to get the healing and the professional help that you need. We know that they tell us if we're black people go to counseling, you're crazy or whatever. But it's okay to be in Christ Jesus and receive counseling at the same time. Listen, I, my fellow peer, Lena Chapman, 
we she said this and I was like that's so true I we believe that every church needs a therapist on staff because because sometimes uh, I put this on my Instagram one time I said unhealed parental trauma will have you believing the lie that your pastor isn't for you because it's, right. because see because my parents were an authority figure so now if my pastor corrects me or tell you not for me you you remind me of the trauma of my parents so it hinders our spiritual growth so it, it yes it, you can have both and i'm actually recommending that every church has a therapist on staff please continue <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just we need to get to a place of accountability with our children it's time to heal we can't continue to lead while bleeding we go out here and I remember telling God, Lord, I'm, I'm ministering to everybody else's kids, but my kids are torn from the floor. Lord, they are hurting. So ministry starts at home. Yes. So we have to begin with our own children. Like I say, I don't care about the ages of, ages of our children. We have to get to that place. It's a long journey. It becomes embarrassed because we don't want to admit the mistakes that we made. Even though we know parenting doesn't come with a manual, we learn along the way, we make mistakes along the way, we've all made mistakes. Our children are in the street now, they don't even care about killing anybody. Right. Because they don't have the compassion, they don't have love. They have not experienced these things. So they don't care about the life of another. Your children are out here, you, you got, what are you, you getting shot at, at the age of 13 at two and three in the morning? We're to the point that we can't even tell our children what to do. Who doesn't have control over 13 years old? You couldn't be out of my house at the age of 13 at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. We've lost control because we are still trying to be our children's friends. We're trying to do everything that our children do. Some of us are still in the same clubs, partying with our, chi with our children. Yes. We got grandbabies out here that we're not even raised. Everybody got the new names. It ain't Granny and Grandma no more. Gigi, Gaga, and <laughs> all of this are triple this, and they don't want to be called Granny. Yeah, they, they, you you forty five years old, a grandmother, and you don't want to be called Granny. I love being called Granny. That's what my grandchildren call me, Granny. Yeah. I love being called Granny. I love my grandchildren to death. But our children are so tore from the floor because it, and pain starts on the inside. It starts at home. But see, when there's no love in the home, that's when they begin to go to the streets because that's where they see love. That's what they believe. That's what they're right. seeing. They don't know any better that it's not love. But somebody's paying them some attention. So since they're paying me some attention in the streets, this is who I'm going to cling to. Our children out here are curious. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. And it doesn't matter that it's the same sex. It's love to them. Love. So yes. they don't care about that. My mom doesn't show any affection here. My dad doesn't show any affection here. I just want to be loved. And I don't care who it is as long as I am loved. So we have to get to a place in our lives. We got to start paying attention in our household and we got to start looking at our children. We got to start looking at our grandchildren. Not only do we as parents need to heal, our children need to heal because we're raising grandchildren now. And if we don't stop, when that head is off in that household, it's like a domino effect. The yes. whole body falls. So we have to get to a place of accountability for the lives of our children and our grandchildren. 
So, um, for some uh, who may be listening, um, Taryn, I know you do life coaching. Coaching, yes. Please, I'm begging you to promote your services. <laughs> I am begging because here's the thing: the uh, relatability. I always tell people it's time out in this day and age people don't want another therapist or coach that will just sit with their legs crossed saying so tell me how you feel no they want the real and so i know this is inspiring some parents when they're listening right now that you could totally uh, assist with their process so how can they get in contact with you it's called renewing renewed and restored life coaching be empowered by the renewing of your mind and I can be emailed at Taryn Walton at Yahoo.com or Helping Hurting Hearts Ministry with a Y at Yahoo.com. Yeah, and that's uh, T-A-R-E-N-W-A-L-T-O-N. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to spell it, you know. Under, um, yes, and please, per, uh, I'm going to say the title of the book again, Damaged Children, Healing Hearts to Love Again. Listen, I, I can you please come back? can <laughs> yes and and maybe it'll be a q a i don't know but i know so many people um have questions because i mean we could just go on and on but i really think today uh it sets the groundwork which is what i think now i think i know this is how the lord is doing it it is time for uh the oxes the oxen to come forth because to have the ox anointing means i am plowing ground that nobody else did How beautiful uh, is it that someone has a ministry that could possibly, not possibly, that will show parents how to apologize to the children? See, nobody does that. Nobody does. It is a first. And so if you need um, assistance in that area... Taryn is great. Um, she's one of my faves. I always call it. We did a a, a, a seminar when we were pre-pandemic. <laughs> I hosted a seminar of uh, breaking generational trauma. What happens in this house stays in this house. And that went for the church setting and um, personal family settings. And you just rocked it then. Uh, so, yes, please reach out. Purchase uh, the book. Reach out to Taryn. Uh, I am Christy Danielle and yes, please subscribe to this podcast. I love you guys until next time. Be safe. Bye-bye.